Thank you for downloading the Engineering Commons. In this episode, we talk with former co-host Chris Gamble about how his views on engineering education have evolved over the past five years. Along the way, we discuss why manufacturing gigs are often reviled, which electronics programs are really worthwhile, and a double-fermented beer called Old Style. The Engineering Commons explores challenges encountered by engineers, regardless of field or industry. Join Adam, Brian, Carmen, and Jeff as they discuss issues of interest to today's engineering professional. This is episode 131, Five Years, May 22nd, 2017. So, Jeff... What's your philosophy of education? Well, I guess I've learned that everybody learns things in a different way. And uh, uh, it's not so much the, you know, the technique. You know, we, we seem to think that uh, the right textbook or the right video or the right uh, MOOC, uh, massively, what is it, massively open online uh, class or course. Something like that, that yeah. That's, that somehow this technique is going to make everybody smart. And uh, I'm I'm coming to realize it's it's much more the culture that learning is a a social event. Uh, it's it's really dependent often on the people around you. Once you once you've developed a certain amount of expertise, you can do stuff on your own. But uh, I think we we underestimate how much it's important that you like your instructor, you get along with your classmates. That it really is a social uh, event. So I'm still struggling with the best way to uh, to how to use that information in my class and, and how to uh, be a better instructor, a better teacher. But if, if you'd asked me a few years ago, uh, I think I would have been, you know, more traditional. Well, we just need better techniques. You know, I was a big proponent of MOOCs and let's have, you know, whoever's the best calculus teacher in the world, let's have them teach the calculus courses. Why do we need, you know, 20,000 different calculus courses being taught across the world? So, we got about two weeks of audio for this podcast now. We could probably fact check that over the last few years, but uh, that's a lot of work. So I'm just going to assume you're right. <laughs> right. Well, uh, so I guess what it's a sign of is that uh, it's been a few years since this podcast got started. And uh, we thought that maybe this would be a good time to uh, stop and look back. Uh, in fact, it's been more than five years since this podcast started, which was uh, it had its first episode in April of 2012. And to help us look back over the past five years and, and uh, share a few thoughts about the engineering profession and engineering education, uh, we want to welcome back Chris Gamble, who helped us found the Engineering Common podcast. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Jeff, and everybody. It's good to feel it's it's good to be back. Yeah, we're sorry we trashed your trailer since you've been gone for so long. Mm. Well, you know <laughs> the perks. Decline with the uh, with the participation, so that's fine. <laughs> true, true. But we're glad you didn't get eaten by a kangaroo at all when you were in Australia. I am glad of that as well. It uh, it helped to stay away from them. Yeah, you'd probably also be the first person to ever be eaten by a kangaroo. So yeah, I was more worried yeah. about the spiders and snakes. So as you should be. Yes, yes. And, and did you run across any spiders or snakes? Uh, I saw two or three spiders, no snakes, and uh, I ran away screaming as planned. So. <laughs> Did Dave get it on video? No, he was not there. Yeah, no, he was not there. And for background, for people who don't know what Carmen's talking about, it, I was uh, visiting Australia and I met my co-host of seven years for the first time last month. And was it pointed out to you that the spiders were venomous or were, were you just running away from innocuous spiders and assuming, well, they're Australian, they must be deadly? You know, the people who stop to ask, is this spider's venomous? That's, that's the first, that's the rookie yes. mistake right there. <laughs> you never ask, you just run. I, I actually have that rule here in, in Chicago as well. Yeah. I thought everything in Australia was venomous. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Including the people. No, I'm just kidding. They're great people. <laughs> but that's different too. I, I live in Chicago now. I don't know if you guys, if we talked about that. When was the last time I was on the show? It was more than a year, right? Yeah, it was over about a year and a half ago, maybe. Yeah, I think January of 2016. Well, there you go. Yeah, so that I moved here in August of whatever 2016, I guess. So, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I live vicariously through the amp hour, so I'm aware. Oh, yeah, right, right. People listen to the amp hour, then they would know these things. That's uh, how I get all my news these days. Oh, yeah, well, good luck with that worldview. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, I've been here since August of 2016, and uh, Chicago's a great town. I'm a member of a uh, hardware, uh, what's it called, like a shared workspace, but it's a former Motorola um location here in chicago called m hub and it's about nice. sixty thousand square feet it's a bunch of workspace uh, a bunch of like shared office space but then also twenty thousand of that is actually workshops so oh cool so if you needed like a 3d printer or drill press or whatever it's available or like 20 of them yeah yeah it's there's nice. there's quite a bit so very it's, cool. it's good stuff yeah i like that. you can't fit all that in your apartment i have my 3d printer but that's about it yeah then my my bench is still here i i didn't give up my bench so ah if you 3D printed in addition to your apartment, you could fit all the other tools. Right. Have like some kind of cantilevered, uh, you know, window windowsill extension or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that's totally up to building code. And mm-hmm. Yep. Your landlord wouldn't care. Yeah. So Chicago's uh, Chicago's great and Australia was great and New Zealand was great. And, uh, and now I'm back and it's been, I can't believe it's been five years, Jeff. That's crazy. It does seem like the time has uh, flown by. Yeah. So we, we we've probably garnered a few new listeners over the, over the years here that that have not listened all the way back to episode 1 but they should so well, they should pause now and then come back <laughs> yeah we're going to make a lot of old callback jokes so we'll wait we'll best. wait <laughs> <laughs> right so so what was the impetus for uh starting the show chris because you were the one who really had the idea we should there, there was a need I mean, for Jeff, at this podcast. point i really don't remember uh i remember <laughs> you emailed me and i remember it was something i said about general podcast and you were very kind and i said yeah we should do that together or you said we should yeah. do that together and yeah sorry our our uh our origin story isn't quite out there like that huh Right. If I well, remember, well, my, you're you're starting to get meta about engineering on the amp hour quite a bit, and Dave said there's no place for that here. Oh, really? Okay. If if I remember correctly, you know, I'm Cor- getting Carmen's rewriting history right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think he's pretty close to right. He he, you had put out a tweet that said anybody interested in a more general podcast about engineering, and I responded thinking. Well, maybe he needs somebody to write up some show notes or contact some people for interviews and. You said, "Hey, let's do a podcast." I'm like, so we did. I'm like, Jeff, you you sound like you should be on an NPR station. So let's let's do this thing, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I was listening to old episodes today, actually, and I was like, and I was literally thinking, I was like, Jeff would Jeff's voice actually does fit very well with the the NPR. But <clears throat> the thing is, like, your name isn't isn't NPR status, right? So you got the voice for it, but the mm. name it needs to be like Jeff Sheltononius. Like Esquire 3D. You know what I mean? Like they always have the craziest names. And Jeff cannot be spelled J-E-F-F. It has no, no. to be. Oh, no. It's no, no, G-E-O-F-F. No, yeah. there'd be a Y in there and somehow it's there'd surreal. be a Q. Yeah. <laughs> but that's 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 the magic of NPR, right? So, But yeah. Jeff's voice is very NPR-esque. So. Oh, yeah. He's the Ira Glass, the engineering commons. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's how the uh, the podcast got started. We we uh, we jumped in, did one, did another one, did several more, uh, and it's it's just kept going. Yeah, you know, thinking back on it now too, like, so I was talking about general engineering stuff, but I think what I was really I was interested in educational stuff, mm-hmm. and people that were listening up through what it was like twenty five that we got through, I ended yeah. up stepping away for an unknown project that actually was contextual electronics. And um, right. and Jeff, you kept going, and I'm glad you did, and you found all these other great guys. But ultimately, I think I was searching for this, like, I was frustrated about the the learning process and mm-hmm. and thinking about it at a more broad engineering level because it's frustrating, right? I mean, it, it happens in every in every field of engineering. There's, I mean, civil, civil me- mechanical, electrical, all these things, right? Like, it's the same problems of of pairing theory and practice. And, um, you know, and that's, that's, that's what I was, I think, you know, if I, if I'm remembering correctly, I think that was part of, of that frustration that, that led me start talking about these more generalized ideas. Yeah. And, and I think we, I I can't remember whether we did an episode about it. I don't think we ever did an episode about an apprenticeship, but we did a lot of talking, uh, in preparing for other episodes about, you know, what, what engine, what kind of training engineers really needed and, and the fact that, that an apprenticeship was 
may be important. And I know that uh, your Contextual Electronics website calls your course an online electronics apprenticeship. And so, I, you know, has your has your view of of the kind of training that engineers need has that has that changed over the past five years? I mean, I think it's just been reinforced. I mean, I, it's hard to say because it's like, you know, obviously I, I have a very constrained view on like the people that came through and the people that liked it, didn't like it, whatever. Um, but I, I don't, th- I, I don't know. I, the more I think about it, the more I think about like my past training and, you know, any success that I've had, it came, it's not that I, I didn't enjoy the theoretical and the, the university settings, but it was more about the situations and the people that helped me along. It was all about the people and mm-hmm. the fact that I was working with, it, it, uh, you know, experienced engineers that were helping me along, and and so I I don't know if that if that worldview has really changed much. I think that it's still, especially as electronics, um, cha- electronics specifically, right? There's yeah. so much routine to it, you know, in terms of you're going to lay out a board, you're going to follow an app note, you're going to do all these things that are similar. And I I only assume for mechanicals, I know some mechanical people, but like you know, you're going to do a CAD drawing, you're going to machine this part, you're going to, you know, put these assemblies together. Sorry, civil, I don't really know. Um, but um, all these things like, you know, there are there are routines to them and, and, and there's such a big piece of learning that routine that is ignored in schools and uh, I still think that's the case. I don't know if that's what you guys mm-hmm. see. No, definitely. Um, in my particular line of work, doing power electronics, there's certainly a very formalized routine from design to layout and prototyping to validation that you could probably put it in a semi-detailed checklist and give it to somebody who's at least a little experienced with electronics and they could follow it and, you know, learn that way and then dive in deeper as they need to. Right. But it's the sort of thing that, yeah, would just get glossed over in school. Right. Exactly. If there's no real focus on the, on the practical side of things and, I think since we've started, uh, uh, Mr. Jeff, you, mm-hmm. you have become much more of a professor type. So I'm actually was interested in hearing your perspective as you've changed. Yeah, as I mentioned in the in the open, I'm I'm I feel like you know learning is is a much more a, a social activity. Uh, but part of the problem is that in the typical education. It's hard to get students motivated about all the topics. That is, you know, we, we, in, in the typical engineering curriculum, we train them for everything. And I don't know, maybe mechanical is maybe a little more broad than others because, you know, we have, we, we have training in, in thermodynamics and stress and statics and dynamics and controls and, um, fluids and heat transfer. And it just seems, you know, there's these broad areas of, of engineering knowledge. And we try to cover all that. And it's, you know, it is rare the student who can stay enthralled and excited about all those different topics. And so as a result, you know, the, the students, you know, grasp at, you know, well, what's the, what's the least I have to know to get through this or to do well or, or, you know, depending on, on, on their own personal uh, goals. And as a result, there are these big chunks that they potentially go through where they, yes, they graduate with a degree, but you know, they went through controls, but they don't really understand it. Or they went through fluids, but they don't, yes, they can do the technique, but it doesn't mean anything to them. Right. Right. And what's, and what's that thing they need, Jeff? What's that one thing that would help with all these things? Go on. Well, go on. Say they, it. Say, they, the, say the word. I think it's, I think it's context, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> People always ask me that question, like where to come from. I'm like, like that exactly what, like exactly what Jeff's saying right there. That is a perfect way to say it, and it's and it's so frustrating too because it's like because now, like you know, for me pushing 15, 20 years later, like I know what I need to learn that stuff for, right? I know mm-hmm. why I needed some of that math. I I use some of that math, not all of it, of course, but like some of that is so important, and so, and a lot of the circuit stuff is so important. But like, damn, 15, 15 years later, like it took that long. It shouldn't have taken that long, but it took that long for a lot of that stuff to settle in. And that's what's frustrating to me is that like, instead, if you front load all the context, right? If you front load all the, well, let's get this stuff done. Let's follow some of these loops and these routines. And then, mm-hmm. then you go back and do it. 
Because also the other thing that I think about is, you know, for a long time you had the the ham radio folks, right? That, those were the main the main ones going into electronics, right? Mm-hmm. They already had all that stuff. They had all the context because they were building radios and they were doing it by by doing small apprentices and and learning learning, you know, that's called Elmering in in uh, in ham, right? Right, and. Uh, and same thing with, you know, you'd go work in a machine shop, you'd, you'd, you'd be an apprentice or you just follow along and you'd, you know, you start sweeping the floor, that kind of thing. And then eventually you already know how to do all this stuff. And then it's like, oh, and then here's why, here's the theory. Now let's talk about the math. You know, that's, it's just, it's frustrating because the institutions are there to serve themselves. It rightfully so, right? They're, they're self-sufficient in, in terms of, well, we're going to survive by charging for this degree, which is a gating factor. However, mm-hmm. uh, there should be some kind of precursor to that, you know, and, and that's, that's for the, maybe a precursor, maybe a postcursor. I don't know what it is, but it's, it, there has to be something else. And that's what right. ultimately drove the course. Right. So, so let's back up again for listeners that uh, may not have, uh, listened to, uh, previous episodes and, and know of your, your background. Uh, can you say a few words about uh, what contextual electronics is and, and what caused you to start it? Uh, well, I can do the first part of that. Uh, contextual electronics is a uh, online program to teach people how to design electronics. And a lot of that is follow follow what I do. If you can't, if you can't dig in and, and learn the underlying, you know, if you don't understand the underlying stuff, then it's okay to just follow along, kind of a muscle memory type thing, and just follow along. And then eventually you'll get towards this space where, you know, you you start to see patterns and you can start to understand things. Um, right. As for whether that works, I mean, it seems like some of it does. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. And, and so when, you know, obviously, uh, I, I can't remember exactly whether you have anything to this uh, to this point on on the website, but I know from your previous uh, uh, previous episodes of the Amp Hour and your conversations with Dave that you're focused on projects and you're trying to get your uh, clients uh, members. You call them clients, Mem- members, students, I call them. members. That you're trying to get your members excited about a project. Um, um, yeah, you know, it's actually not even about excited. It's more just like, I mean, so much of what I think about, even for for university settings, like. So you can work on anything, right? You you say, I want to learn electronics. And mm-hmm. uh, usually, so you can either follow a curriculum where it's, you know, step one, do this, step two, do that, where it's very focused on that, or it's, let's build this thing. And then you say, okay, well, that's the better way to learn. Okay, let's let's go build a thing. And then what's the next question? How does it work? Uh, that's not the question that I usually get, but what's another question? Now what? What is the thing? That is the question that usually starts with, (laughs) what is the thing, right? I mean, like, most people don't actually know what to start building with. And and there's a lot of programs out there that actually, that's one of the main things they provide is just, here's the shared, here's the shared experience of we're going to build this thing together. We're going to build the same thing. And, um, and then from there, you start to have, you know, similar questions. Oh, why did we do this? One person asked it. And, uh, you know, I answer it or other students answer it. And then you start to kind of gather around that, that one topic and, and then you move on from there. And then there's another question about, you know, a, a shared experience there. And it's obviously it's all decoupled too, right? So, so the way that the projects work is people are building these at different times in different locations and different, uh, uh, in different mindsets and different experience levels. But at the same time, there's usually that same question of, well, why, why did we do this? And uh, mm-hmm. that's where the project-based education really starts to shine. So I think about the, the typical collegiate curriculum where, you know, if, if you're going to teach fluids, then, you know, here are the things you're going to talk about in the, in the fluids curriculum. And, and you sort of got to tick off, you've, you've hit each of those. But in a project-based course like yours, I'm thinking that you, do you have more flexibility in, in what you address and, and what topics you hit? Well, yeah, man, I'm in charge. I get to do whatever I want. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, uh, I, I don't know. There's, there is no real. I mean, I, I guess it's kind of like a distribution, right? When you think about like, so what, what happens the most often in an electronics project, right? You start thinking about, well, you're probably going to put down a power supply, and that's going to be in a lot of projects, and you're going to have to do the layout around it, and you're going to have to pick out the components around it, like that. As like a, that's like the center of the distribution. That happens the most often. You know, you're picking out capacitors, you're picking out resistors, you're, you're reading data sheets. And really it's about like, 
these are the thing these are the loops that you keep doing right you keep putting in uh power supplies you know well linear regulators for example right and you do the layout for it and like that's the thing you just do over and over again and sometimes hopefully you get really fast at that and so if you start looking at like the educational side of things that should be what you do first because it's the thing you're going to do the most often and then you can really iterate on that in terms of like comparing it to, to like education like you're talking about it they always focus on the corner cases like we need to cover every single possibility and it's like, mm-hmm. well, sure, that's good. But like, I don't necessarily need to know how to do a high-end FPGA design because most of the time I'm not going to do that, right? And that's yeah. kind of the difference. It's like, so if you look at it as a, it sounds like really highfalutin here, but if you look at it as a distribution, right? Contextual electronics is about doing the thing in the middle of that distribution. You do the power supplies the most often, you're going to do that that cycle the most often, m- more times than most other things. Whereas... Traditional collegiate education treats everything as a flat distribution, right? You say the FPGA is just as important as learning about a resistor and Mm -hmm. how to place a resistor on a circuit board. And they treat those with equal weight. And honestly, both are important, but in terms of what is more likely to happen to an electronics engineer over the course of their lifetime, I guarantee the, the power supply is much more important. And if you give everything equal weight, then the you start losing out on those things that are actually pretty common. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I can count on the number of, uh, you know, on zero fingers, the number of times I needed an FPGA. Right. And some people need it. I mean, that's the thing. Like, that's, that's the other oh, thing yeah, that's really interesting. Oh, yeah, for sure. Is that, that, that colleges are really – the reason that I think a lot of this stuff propagates too is that the people that are really good at getting through school, right – are the ones who go through, um, you know, undergrad, grad school, PhD, and they're really good at that. And then they teach what they were really good at, right? And it's like, and it just kind of self-propagates over and over and over again. And I'm not saying it's all, uh, you know, it's not like every teacher is like that. There's people with, <laughs> I'm thinking about Jeff here. Uh, <laughs> Jeff has real experience, right? And that is that is one of the the most valuable things that is ignored the most often, I think, in university settings, unfortunately. Because Jeff, someone like Jeff has context about what's actually important, right? Whereas someone who's really, really good at engineering mathematics, uh, well, they're going to teach all their students engineering mathematics and say how important that is. And it's like, well, sure, if you're a college professor. <laughs> <laughs> or you're doing like some fancy control system where you need right. to know that right. pulled coordinates of vectors and all that nonsense. Right. Well, and part of the problem is that you want to. I I I, I used to use the word spiral, but but you know the uh, too many would, people would attach the word death to it, and then it became death spiral, and that wasn't <laughs> what I was looking for. But well, that's weird. The, you weren't looking for that. But but the idea is that that you, you know you need to you need to switch back and forth between a high level view. You know, show me show me the big picture, mm. and then zoom down and and you know and work your way down to the details, and then. And that's where uh, most education programs want to stop, right? They they either want to start at the bottom. Yeah. Okay, we're going. We're not going to teach you anything about engineering until you know everything about calculus. Yeah. And then everything about physics. And then once you know statics, we'll teach you dynamics. And once you know dynamics, then we'll teach you a little bit about right. machine design. And once right. you know a little bit about machine design, right. we'll teach you about gear systems. And then if you've gotten through all that, we'll teach you the advanced gear systems in right. grad school. And, 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 and at the end of the day, it's like, what were you trying to turn? It's like, well, I was just trying to turn this handle in order to uh, you know, move right. this widget. It's like, oh, no, okay. it's usually, wait, wait, why are you converting to a business major? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, and that's the problem. I think about how many friends I have that are, that either dropped out of engineering and ended up coming back and, and doing stuff later. But how much talent was wasted by people who literally fell out of the system because of the math, who would have been better if, you know, if they started with the, started with the program where it's like, well, let's talk about the why before we talk about the how. And mm-hmm. they just don't do that. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that comes into focus at career fairs too. Not that I've done a ton of recruiting, but at the few career fairs I've been to, you, you always get someone come up coming up who has like their PhD, and you ask them a simple like RC time constant question, and they totally blank on it, mm. and they they've just lost focus on those important things that everybody has to deal with. Mm-hmm. But they could probably do their triple integral and surface integral and everything. And sure, sure. For their yeah, f- the cow, the cow area. emitting milk in all directions, right? Or spherical yeah, exactly. cow, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Not that we don't need those people in the engineering system. Someone's got to push the boundary, but it's not required. But you don't for train for that. Job. And that's the thing. Like they, they train everyone for that because it's a it's a narrowing program, right? It's and it, and it sounds sexy. You know, you're going you <laughs> to come not, to school because I would like to refute that claim. Uh, that does not sound sexy. It sounds like. Well, it sounds sexy too. when you're selling it to kids. Which again, I would good disagree. phrasing, yeah, good would, God, yeah. edit that out, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Have that removed. <laughs> I like that stricken from the record, please, Your Honor. Right. All right. Yeah. No, you know what I mean. It looks good on the marketing slides. I just think we exist to pay for math departments, but I mean, I have nothing. I have nothing against against math departments, right? It's 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 fine. It's all fine, right? It's a system for. It's a system that that self propagates, and that's fine. And and there is place for it. It's just that so the reason so I guess this gets back to to Jeff's question of why did I start it is that I just thought there was room outside of there right some people just want to learn how to design electronics and I think that outside of uh, I think even within the, the the university sphere they don't really teach that there's some programs that do but n- not many and and that's that's really the problem is that there's mm-hmm. no one really teaching just how to design a board and just get some stuff on it most people. J- most people don't give a crap about electronics theory. Most people just want to make a thing. And that's really what I was getting towards. And I'd like to, I'd eventually like to expand that out to mechanical stuff too, because most people don't care. They just want to make their thing happen. And that's mm-hmm. exciting. Right. Oh, yeah. You can see that with ICs. You know, the popular ones are the ones that are getting more and more integrated because it's easier just to drop them down and hang a few pull-up resistors than it is to tune some compensation loops and worry about routing diff pairs. And then you got to be a quasi-expert in power or A to D front ends. And, it, you know, I, I just want to plunk a chip down and keep going. I got something else I want to do. Right, right. And yeah, you're right. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think I think that's going to be interesting for 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 my program over time. Assuming it it survives, like if if it is over time, like what you're talking about there, it's just going to be it's going to be less and less about uh, the theory behind it and more about the how to find the part that fits your application. Yeah, and that's I think it's interesting as well. It's a little, you know, a little bit of me is like, oh well, I wish people would learn more about the, you know, like I like op amps and stuff like that. But there was someone. 15, 20 years ago being like, well, why are you doing op amps when you could do this with discrete transistors or... Yeah, exactly. You know, this is not anything new, so... Yeah, yeah, I'm on the analog side of things like you are, so I'm always like, no, but I want to tune that loop and feel like right. I did something. Right, right, exactly. Auto exactly. compensation's like the auto router. You don't trust it. That's right, exactly. <laughs> we had on many uh, episodes ago, I think it was... I'm, I'm guessing, I think it was episode 10, but we talked to Greg Wilson who started Software Carpentry. And one of the things I remember him talking about, uh, since they were presenting, you know, weekend or two day boot camps, uh, where they're trying to bring people up to speed with, with software development, uh, was that everybody gets stuck in a different place. And he, he said that's why you had to have fairly small groups. You needed to have a, not just one instructor. Typically you would have two or three instructors as well as several assistants, helpers. Uh, so that if someone got stuck, they could put up a, we, we would give them green and red post-it notes and they would stick up the red, the red post-it note on their laptop if they were confused or having trouble. So somebody could run over and get them unstuck so they could keep going and, and keep up with the course. Yeah. It's like a momentum thing, right? Yeah. And, 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 but what, what he said that has always stuck with me is that everybody gets stuck in a different place. And that's why these, you know, these MOOCs and the, the mass, you know, having a fancy video system and, that's that all sounds great, but doesn't always scale because everybody gets stuck in a different place and needs a different little bit of help. And it's the the master instructor that can go over and quickly figure out how they've gotten stuck and how to explain it in a way that that suddenly unravels the knot for them. Right. Yep. And that is probably one of the biggest downfalls of of my program as well. Is that like yeah, of course. I mean, like I'm sleeping, you know, six to eight hours a night. So. Even just that. <laughs> no, I mean, like, honestly, like, a lot of the times, like, I'm online all day long, right? Yeah. I can help with a lot of stuff, but there's some things I'm just not conscious for. And, uh, or I'm doing <laughs> some other work, right? I mean, there's just, there's always going to be that. And so, unless you have... God forbid having a life. Well, let's, let's not go too far here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's that, you're totally right. Is that, um, that, that human in-person connection with the, with the looking over the shoulder kind of stuff, that, that is a huge benefit. And, um, and that's why in-person universities will, you know, continue to to thrive. I think. Yeah, it's worth paying for. I will say that. 
Yeah. I've actually taken a boot camp over the summer. Oh, yeah? Um, what for? Yeah. And, uh, well, I say boot camp. It's a loose term. It's uh, at Virginia Tech because they have that really good um, power electronics program. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. The CEPUS uh, lab. And they do a, a short course for five days in the summer. And they dive into uh, regulator topologies and control schemes. And there's a lab associated with it as well. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that kind of stuff is great. I mean, like the short, I think short course is a great term for it too, right? Like, yeah, you know, one week to one month is probably like a short course, especially yeah, if it's, it's a week long. You'd live and breathe power electronics, lecture lab, lecture lab, and then you, you go home and you apply it. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of people in my office have taken it and they, they really like it. They said it was a, a great time and they learned a lot. So cool. That's yeah. good. Cause that, they, you know, that, I kind of approach power electronics how, uh, how you were talking, Chris, you know, I, I just dove in after school. I didn't really know anything other than the, the very basics and a, a co-op on it. Mm-hmm. And I, I picked things up. I read a few papers, but I'm still missing that underlying deep technical foundation. And that's what this course is going to go back in and fill in for me. Yeah. Well, you know, and so like I made this argument a lot, but like, <laughs> so like I play music and I think about jazz and I think about my friends that went to music school and studied jazz at music school. Mm-hmm. And like they're studying Miles Davis. And I tell you what, Miles Davis did not friggin' sit in a classroom, right? You know, like he, <laughs> he, I mean, uh, so like, and he's studying now, right? It's like, it's a thing studied after the fact. And I'm not saying there's not value in studying what he did, but in terms of a creator, he figured it out and he had mentors and he, and he, you know, and obviously he had a lot of natural talent as well. Yeah, but he like, had to practice a lot. And- sure, right. And like, but, but I've seen this similar thing in in electronics as well, right? So all the people I've had on my show that have not graduated college, have not graduated high school, you know, and that are just driven people. So I think the real question is, what's the best way to get people to like to drive people, right? How do you how do you inspire people to be more like that? And I haven't figured that out yet. But if if anyone ever does, right, then schools kind of become obsolete at that point because there's no stopping someone who's thirsty for knowledge and goes out and just tries things and applies them. I was talking to someone tonight about about languages too, right? I know someone who spoke three languages already, was learning two more, and we were riding in an Uber together. He found out that the cab driver sp- spoke Spanish, and he just started trying to speak Spanish. <laughs> he was terrible. Like, I could, I don't speak Spanish, but it was it was really bad. You could tell the, the yeah. cab driver was... was Just humoring him. Uh, was uncomfortable, actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> And, you know, and like, but like that kind of like that, it's not bravado, but it's like this, this thirst, it's a thirst for knowledge. And if I could be more like that, I I want to be more like that. I don't know how to be more like that. But like, if, if we can inspire people to be more like that, then all of these things that we're talking about are not a problem, right? The, yeah. the course that I do is not necessary at that point, right? Everything I do is, is available somewhere on the internet. It's, it's just the collection of my knowledge of the years. Right, right. Yeah. But, but you are tying together, your knowledge is tying together uh, things that work together so they don't have to stumble quite as often. Sure. They don't yep. have to spend as much time searching the, 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 the web. Uh, so, so often it's a matter of just nomenclature. Oh, uh, sure. You right. Know, what, what do you Google tr- for? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so, you know, that is a valuable service you're providing. Well, I wouldn't say otherwise, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> 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 you know, Jeff, I'm here to say... That piece of crap program that I've been doing. Uh, no, I'm yeah. kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what you're actually describing is like the being the Tony Robbins of engineering. Oh, I don't know if I want that title, but uh, well, <laughs> Tony Robbins makes a lot of money. I'm just saying about that, you know. <laughs> I know, but it, it, it's I, I'm not making a judgment for or against Tony Robbins, but you know, it's almost it's more inspiration than information at that point. Yeah, I th- I think if if I could ever figure out how to actually, you know, productively inspire people to be like that, you know, then yeah, then I would be a Tony Robbins. But I, I think in in the meantime, it's more about setting up a program that does that. And I, I'm sure that you guys have that same experience. If you have if you have a professor in college that drove you to to dig deeper, right? I remember there was one at Case who was he had a really hard class. He designed it to be really hard, but he also you know he inspired the students to 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 dig in and really, really try. And that's a hard thing to do, you know? Yeah, I yeah. agreed. I can think of a few professors who do who did that for me, and it, it definitely paid off. All right. Yep. 
Chris, I got a question for you. Sure. Have in your multitude of travels, meetups, conversations, have you ever really broached the topic of how veteran engineers stay interested? Oh, that's interesting. Like a 30 year engineer? Yeah. Uh, at this point, I'm a 15 year engineer and or, or less. Yeah. No, I'm pushing, I'm pushing 15 myself. I mean, if you call me yeah. an engineer still, but yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Okay. I, I, if, if you are producing at high intensity, how do you not burn out? Oh, <laughs> you haven't burned out yet? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, in a permanent fashion. Oh, I mean, I Because I, I think we all know, and it's not limited to engineering, but I mean, I know plenty of people in their careers have just hit a point where they're like, all right, I'm done. Yeah. I don't care if this was my, yeah. was my vocation. I'm just done with right. it. Right. Yeah. No, I actually have not, but that's a really good question. Um, yeah. I don't know. Um, I think I mean, that a I'm lot not of, a f- okay. Oh, I was gonna say, I'm not a, you know, 20, 30 year engineer, but I've worked with a lot of 20 or 30 yeah, engin- yeah. year engineers. And one thing that's common through all of them is they, they force change upon themselves. Um, you know, whether it's, I'm going to go from design to applications to marketing back to design. Um, so they're seeing different, you know, uh, phases of the product cycle or, you know, I'm going to do op amps for a while, then power, then, you know, go completely in the other direction and, uh, you know, do just simulation work or whatever. And they, they, they've bounced around and seen a lot. So whenever they feel like they're getting stale, they always change. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, we, we do have a slightly more senior engineer here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Used to be my co-host. I don't know if he's yeah. here still. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've never heard of the guy. Yeah, Jeff, you here? Yeah, I'm here. Jeff, uh, I, how are you how are you holding it together these days, man? Are you about to go bananas? Actually, <laughs> not. <laughs> uh, actually, actually, I'm I'm still fascinated by uh, the sort of the magic of engineering. The fact that uh, you can sit down with a problem, and there are some fairly basic equations and and some concepts that uh, you start putting together and you can design something or you can fix something or you can maintain something or you can analyze something. And, uh, it's, I've always found it pretty fun to do. I mean, when I, when I started out in school, I, I struggled with math. I really had a bad, uh, background. I wasn't prepared for college, uh, calculus. Uh, so I was always struggling trying to keep up with the math, but, but, you know, Eventually, eventually got good enough. I could, I could make it through, uh, through grad school and eventually through my PhD. But it's, uh, it, it's always been fun, you know, sitting down and, and saying, Hey, here's a new problem to solve. And, 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 you know, some people like solving crossword puzzles and some people like sol- solving jigsaw puzzles. And it, to me, always every new engineering project was another puzzle to be solved. Hey, you know, how can we optimize it? How can we change it? How can we think outside the box to do something different? Uh, and I always found that entertaining. So I don't know if that's just me or whether this is common to all engineers that that they they enjoy this type of activity. Well, it's a good point about seeking like the problem solving stuff because I think that the the ones that I've seen I, again like I, I have not I've not broached the subject, but I, I might I, I mean I might I might try and target that in the future. The ones that I, the people that I've seen who have been in it the longest are definitely the ones who kind of chase after that problem. And, um, and yeah, that, I think that it is, that's going to be the only way to, like, if you're just doing routine, then unless you're a person that really, really, really loves routine, then you're going to, you're going to not burn out, but just become obsolete, right? Cause eventually your, your routine, routines always, um, evolve as well. So. Right. Well, and, and, and the environment is changing all the time, right? So yeah, right. when I was in school, I took a drafting class, putting pencil on paper to do mechanical drawings. And well, what is that? Years- What's a pencil? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a pointy stick that pointy you stick uh, with slightly lead. burn. With so lead. Write- they don't use lead anymore, Jeff. That's, that's poisonous, man. Oh, man. Graphite, graphite, uh, graphite. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, we, I've gone through the evolution of you. You, you know, you had to. You did the drawings, and then you had CAD, and now we've had 3D CAD, and now we have, you know, parametric 3D CAD, and now yeah. we're changing its online CAD. And when I started, uh, when I started into school, uh, the 8088 uh, 
was out as the processor 8086. Uh, I guess the first one I really learned on was the 8085, which came out a year or two later. Uh, but, you know, you, you did, a, you of course did assembly code. There was no reason not to do it. And then you might do a little C programming in there. Uh, but, but everything was low level interrupts and, and low level, uh, procedures and routines. And now I, you know, I go back and I, I'm just like, well, how do I, in my mechatronics course, how do I introduce these ideas to students? Well, now at such a high level, you know, it, you're almost foolish not to use an ARM processor for 10 bucks. You get so much computing power that you can hardly believe it. But now you have to develop what's the right tool chain and how are you going to, uh, compile everything and and how are you going to explain it to the students so uh, they don't get lost with all the little details that, you, that have to go uh, to to make to make the uh, uh, the programs run so again as the years go along uh, the the problems keep changing and and again it's a challenge to figure it out and say okay yeah 30 years ago it was it was uh, you know these small 8-bit Intel processors and now we've got 64-bit you know, a powerful, uh, microcontrollers. So, uh, you know, the, the same sort of ideas, what do you control? How do you control it? How do you make good use of it? That doesn't change, but the technology is always changing as well as the applications, what people expect from their, uh, systems, their technology, uh, that keeps developing as well. So right. I don't, and it sound, I, I mean, it sounds like as well though, that you're, you're still, you're re-upping, right? You're saying that I'm still interested in doing this. And I think that's ultimately, that's the attitude that that matters. Is the I'm still in it. I'm still interested. Yeah, uh, I think yeah, when but, people check out, it's more like ah, I can't. I can't do this any. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to keep learning. Right. Yeah. So, so the, the 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 frustrating part, I guess, it's not. It doesn't seem frustrating to me, and I can't believe I'm this old. But I'm I'm nearing sixty years of age. Sixty and, years young. Sixty years. Yeah, young. sixty years young. And I'm just now feeling like I'm competent enough to do something with it you know <laughs> well damn it jeff that's not gonna help me <laughs> i got a long time till then <laughs> Wait, time to retire yeah, right? I, 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 i'm just a slow learner i'm, I'm no i, mean, I, I think that's actually kind of encouraging though too it's like something to look i mean like if that is really the case it's like okay now now it's it right i mean that, that's that's what you're working towards like that's actually really reassuring because if it like i'm 33 right i mean mm -hmm. like if it ends at 35 like why even do another two years of this? So yeah, and I mean yeah. I think it, I think it ebbs and flows though, right, Brian? I mean like it's just it's I, I mean I, I don't know it's, it's you're, you're civil, right? You're civil engineering? No, oh, me I'm electrical. Electrical. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, and um, I mean like I don't know. I, I think cer certain it depends on what your field is, right? But like it certain stuff, uh, you know, it it changes over time. I mean like if if I like I, like I said I we were talking about FPGAs before. FPGAs are very dynamic and and change all the time. If I was if I was just doing like uh you know through hole electrical uh, like um stuff, then it's like well that's kind of a dying technology and or dead technology and I don't know it's just I don't I don't know if it would be worth that that dynamic it wouldn't have the dynamic piece that I'd I'd be looking for so right well you're you're holding on right you're gonna start training for the printed circuit board here. Where oh, the, we're not you know, we're not going there. We're not, <laughs> we're not doing that. We're not doing that. No, but I think that even like uh, branching out into mechanical stuff, I think that you know, I think that engineers of the future, like you know, so we call ourselves mechanical or electrical or whatever, right? I mean, and Jeff, you do you do mechatronic stuff too, but like, like in the future, like we were talking about before, right? The the levels of integration are so high. Yeah, and what that's really enabling is me, Chris, the guy who's only ever done electronics, I can design something in Fusion 360, go to a laser cutter, cut it out, go to a machining center, cut out something in metal, you know, put together a motor and a driver board that I designed and like, and make a thing, you know, like make a full thing by myself. Right. That's kind of nuts, you know, and that's, and that's really the future. And that's where, that's where I'm excited because it's like, I, I mean, I got so much to learn still on that side of things. Right. Right. Well, so speaking of that, uh, you know, they say that if you want to really, to truly understand a topic, you need to teach it. Ah, yeah. And and so you've been teaching these skills in contextual electronics over the past, I guess, what, four years now? Uh, yeah, it's pushing four years, yeah. So has this made you a better engineer? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I don't, I don't know. 
Uh, definitely. I think about it a lot more like in terms of how to approach things. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's one of the things is like, I'm more empathetic to, um, to what students are going through, uh, mm-hmm. just because I hear from more of them. And, uh, like it, it's tough because I don't know if, uh, what's it called? Uh, I'll have to look up the term. Sorry. There is a Japanese term as there always is. Uh, <laughs> it's called beginner's mind. There's okay. Beginner's mind. It's called Shoshin. Yeah, Shoshin. And beginner's mind is basically just about like approaching problems as a beginner would. And that is actually one of the hardest things for, you know, anyone with experience. You don't really remember. You can't really remember what a student's going through as they're beginning to learn. And so that's really what I've tried to focus on is like understanding, you know, when a when a brand new person walks up to this problem, what are they really, really thinking about? Because I might be talking about I might be talking about, oh, well, you know, this pull-up resistor should be like a 5K resistor. And they look at me and they go, what's a resistor? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And, or, you know, or any any other level of, of that along the chain. So, yeah. Um, so I'm not sure I'm a better teacher, but I might be a better beginner. And that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Okay. Okay. Are you a better, I mean, so you're a teacher now. What is Yeah. Brian, yeah. Carmen, are you guys teaching at all? Do you guys teach? Uh, no. Um, Not but I, yet. Not I yet. did. No, I did have a college professor who got sick of me asking one too many questions, and he made me lecture on the topic that <laughs> you're going to say he quit. <laughs> <laughs> no, and he jumped off a bridge. No, he was bungee jumping. <laughs> he said, "Next, uh, you know, I'm not going to answer that question. I want you to provide a five minute lecture on us." Oh, that's great. Actually. You know what? It's a topic that I have never forgotten. Yeah, I bet. Well, what, what was the topic? Uh, it was it was about the impedance of diodes. We were just getting into diodes for the first time, and I noticed uh, a one over R relationship that you know seemed to make sense. And I'd I'd probably asked about twenty questions before that as I was coming to my conclusion. Mm. Well, that's great. I mean, like that, I mean, I, I, I do agree with the general idea and, uh, it's just hard for me to say if, uh, if I'm any better as a, as a engineer, I don't really engineer anymore. That's the other, that's the other problem, you know? But I will say, I often find myself, I often find myself, um, I, I wouldn't say lecturing, but when I'm, I'm trying to decide if I'm right about something, I'll just corner one of my colleagues and say, just, hear me out you know (laughs) let me describe or lecture as to what i'm thinking is happening and you tell me if this sounds like crap and at the end they're like brian can i leave the bathroom now this was really weird (laughs) yes (laughs) the urinal is not for (laughs) (laughs) no but usually i usually by the end of it simply making the argument out loud i don't even need the feedback i know if i'm saying something that's crap hmm that's no, that's a that's a great point. Carmen, do you teach or no? Uh not really, no. You know, I may have to lecture a customer about uh or an FAE about how our parts work. So I guess that's kind of oh, teaching. I think that's yeah, that's kinda on the same. Yeah. But it's it's pretty informal. It's not anything, you know. Uh I don't give quizzes or anything. <laughs> yeah. You do use PowerPoint. <laughs> I do, yes. And yes. I I wrote one app note that just got published last week and hey, uh, nice. Yeah, yeah, but and I took a very beginner, you know, level. Here, here's just what you need to know to get a design up and running. There's plenty of references if you want to dive deeper. Um, and I'm, I'll do a second part to it that I'll hopefully have out sometime this summer too. Yeah, that's great. So no, I that, guess if that, you consider app notes teaching, yeah, that top down kind of thing too, where it's you know high level overview. I think that's another. I mean, another thing that I've been trying to do more of is top down teaching as well, because. Mm-hmm. Well, like we talked about earlier, it's just like you lose so many people right off the bat, right? It's almost mm-hmm. like a, it's like a web-based thing in general, right? You get a, a thousand people that show up to a website, 900 of them immediately lose interest, right? So you get a hundred yeah. that might pay attention to something, then you're trying to get them to click something, and then they click something, and then they're on the second page, you're trying to get them to fill out a form, and one person will fill out the form. And like that's the that's the modern reality of a lot of web stuff. And it's like... That kind of same thing, though, happens with education, right? I mean, so we're talking about MOOCs earlier. 
MOOCs have super low completion rates. And, you know, part of that personally, I think is because they don't charge, but, but that's just a numbers thing. You know, it's, if you're trying to keep people's interest, you at least need to cover these broad bases in the beginning and then, you know, dive down later. And I've talked about that a lot. But again, I think it's a social, you know, when, when you, even if you don't know the other people in the class, at least, you know, you can sit there in the classroom and say, well, I'm not alone. There's 20 or 30 or 50 or a hundred other people in this class with me doing this. I've got some motivation to keep up with the group or to try to perform or, or to do well. Right. Uh, or I've, you, I've paid $20,000 to be here. That helps too. Y- yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as, as it goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I, I will be paying that $20,000 in the future. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is much more likely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, over time, uh, Chris, have, has the type of student that has enrolled in contextual electronics uh, changed, or is it, is it sort of the same uh, demographic? I think it's changed. A, I mean, maybe a little bit, but um, I don't really know. I probably should ask them that, huh? Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the picture I have as a, of a contextual electronics student is usually someone who's worked on software, who's interested in building something in hardware. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of the general view, but it's it's obviously not all-inclusive so right why why do you ask though well i i know that you've gone through several developments of the course and you've changed the uh you know the material and you've updated and you've become one one would expect a better i would expect a better instructor but but at least a better manager and a better overseer and you've gathered more information about your members Uh uh-huh i see uh and i was just curious uh, if you had if that led you to any insights about uh, the type of people that were interested in electronics, about the type of people that were interested in engineering, STEM fields, uh, and and what they might be trying to achieve. Yeah, I'm not sure that it's actually about. Uh, it's probably more about the the changes have probably been more about me and what I see is best for the course rather than necessarily what the people are coming in with. But mm-hmm. like one thing that's changed is uh, is just based on behavior and. Like, so the first time I did the course, it was this 16 to 20 week, you know, process where we just lost a lot of people just, mm-hmm. and it's not, it's not a judgment of anyone who did the course and didn't finish it. It's just a, that's a long time. I mean, like, that's just a lot of time and yeah. life happens to a lot of people. And yeah. so, so one of my things is just making shorter courses, you know, that, uh, if I'm trying to teach these loops, I'm trying to teach these loops of, you know, design, revise, um, you know, uh, design test revise type thing right yep. um then i need to just do shorter loops and and i can do more of them and that's kind of been one of the things um another thing was uh was splitting splitting topic types right it's having very delineated topic types so one of one of the mistakes i made was was uh trying to squeeze i was very interested in pulling in the embedded side of things but the problem was we were doing these projects and it was like okay well um you know, build the, so we have this idea for a board. We're going to build a board. All right, cool. And it was just a board by itself, but it has a processor on board. And so we designed the board. Great. And we, uh, order the board. Great. We order the parts. Great. And we mm-hmm. get the stuff back. Great. And we assemble the board. Great. And we test it. Great. We troubleshoot it. Great. And we, uh, you know, finally we are ready. We are ready with this board. And now what? Right. Now we go back to the beginning and we learn how to program. <laughs> right. <laughs> Damn, like that's that's crazy, right? I mean, like that yeah. is that is how a lot of uh, the electronics world works, but uh, but usually there are different people and there are different disciplines doing all these things, and and that was just too much, right? That was a mistake because it was just too much, and that's mm-hmm. another thing I've tried to revise of just separating these things out, and uh, you know, both are very valuable. I I want both things, you know. I I think there's I struggle with the programming side, right? Um, uh-huh. And so that's something I want to learn more about. And I hired people to, to teach that and they did a good job, but it was just that getting to that point, you start with a thousand people, you know, I fold my hands and pray that I started with a thousand people, <laughs> right. uh, then a hundred get to the point where they've even ordered a board and then yeah. 10 of them, you know, f- assemble a board. And then the one, the one person who's left is, is finally programming that board. <laughs> and it's like, that's, that's not enough. You know, that's, I failed the, the 999 other people, so. Yes, I, but but again, it's an indication of how hard education really is. And electronics, I mean, you know, 
Manufacturing sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually have a uh, I have a post in draft right now for my uh, for my work. <laughs> what is it? Uh, manufacturing isn't glamorous. I'm going to be writing more about that. I feel like there's there's like this glamour, this like this latent glamour that's attached to it, and it's yeah. like no. Have you ever <laughs> been on a factory floor? Good lord. <laughs> So. It's dirty and nasty and... Even the best ones, are they've got a little bit of grime to them, you know? And oh, if yeah. there's no grime, then there's like that that undercurrent of angst and anger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because the manufacturing line must not go down. Exactly. Right. Exactly. There's like that, that film of resentment. <laughs> it coats everything. Yeah. So, um, outside the manufacturing area... Uh, when we talked last, you were working with Supply Frame. Are you still working with that company? Yeah, yeah. So that's the writing that I was talking about, actually. So that's I've been uh, back in January. I started writing a blog called Supply Frame Hardware, and um, and they were really great. They let me kind of just do my own thing and start writing about that space between design and manufacturing. Because as much as I am teaching design, um, you know, and trying to uh, obviously, there's you know some small manufacturing components. The thing mm-hmm. is like. You know, there's a lot of stuff. Out, you know, there's college programs about uh, about design too, right? You know, what I'm doing is is a different method, but it's still the same topic. It's about designing electronics. Great. Right. I I I am. I don't know if I've ever heard about a program about manufacturing electronics ever. Hmm. Brian Carmen, you guys ever heard of anything like that? Manufacturing specifically, I don't think so. I mean, like. Pick and place machines, right? Is there is there a college program that does pick and place machines? No, but uh, wait, I, RIT where I went may have actually had something like that. No, they have there, a microelectronics, so they they no, manufacture no, no, um, circuit chips rather. But yeah, there was the microelectronics, but there was I think it might have been part of the electrical engineering technology. Oh, interesting uh, degree because there was a surface mount soldering lab with a reflow oven, and I. I think there was a pick in place. I don't know. I haven't been in there in years, mm. but that's where I was soldering my senior design uh, project and stuff because you had to get quote unquote certified to get in there, and you right. can use the reflow ovens and the stations and everything. Right. Well, that's well, that's actually no. That's great. I mean, in RIT, yeah. of course. Right. I, I don't know if there's a degree upstate program New York. For I mean, like, a, the best uh, stuff comes out of yeah. upstate New York. I think you'll agree. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. Uh, I'm but, sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there are degrees in like. Engineer, not engineering, like manufacturing process yeah. management. That's right. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, again, that's like a super hands-on, super applied technology. I mean, it's something that gets done every day. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm not sure there should be a college program, but I'm just saying that like there is there is so little. I had such little visibility in that. And, and I've talked to a lot of people where, you know, you, it's very apparent when you talk to like hardware startups, because usually a lot of them too are like, they're like, oh, yeah, well, we did this Kickstarter campaign and then we raised like, you know, $3 million and now we're ready to manufacture 5,000 products with, you know, a bomb that's got a thousand light items and we've got four different assemblies and we're going to do this in three months. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, my <laughs> God. Well, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I Googled the lab uh-huh. and they do have those. Uh, they have some one and multi-day courses for industry, but you can also get a BS in manufacturing engineering technology. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm, there's I'm, also okay. courses offered through the electrical and mechanical uh, tech programs. I think you're missing the point here. That one pro- yes. one program at one school is not. The I same found the exception that proves the rule. Okay, great, great. You had to, <laughs> I, I found the proof that Carmen's an engineer. Uh, you had to find the exception that proves the rule. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, like, yes. Okay, fine. But I'm just saying that in general, like, even even in those cases, right? Even those programs do not cover all of the high high volume manufacturing thing. And it's just that, like, oh, I'm sure they don't. People don't talk about this stuff that often because. It's uh, it's captive within companies, right? It's a lot of it is tribal knowledge within companies, and it's a it's a competitive advantage, right? I mean, like a lot of that is, and I can't fault them for that. But at the same time, uh, I've been frustrated by this stuff in the past, and I know a lot of other people struggle with it, mm-hmm. and um, and so that's what I wanted to write about and do videos about, and I do meetups where people are talking about that stuff, and I think it's a really interesting space, especially because um, one of the more common things you hear these days is like, well. I'm having all these problems with manufacturing and then someone responds with go to China and and I say that is not an answer. You know? Like, <laughs> uh 
That's like saying my foot itches and they're like, well, you know, read the Bible. And it's like, okay, well, those are totally different things, you know, like, yes, you you might feel better, but it's not going to be your foot still might itch, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, my, my, when you started to say that, my first thought was, well, you know, if somebody would just start a podcast where we could talk about some of these common engineering problems, that would be, <laughs> be self-serving, self-serving right there. <laughs> right. Um, How so, much you guys, do you guys talk about manufacturing much? I've only caught, listened to a couple of recent episodes. I don't listen to podcasts that much anymore. Hey, we just got our first chemical engineer. So. Oh, congratulations. One step at a time. Okay. Again, it is, as you mentioned, Chris, it is very, very difficult because no one can really talk openly about their exactly. manufacturing line because it's all proprietary. And so right, right. We'll, we'll have a, we'll have a guest on who will talk about, you know, diesel engines and we can talk generally about diesel engines, but this guest is not going to tell us, you know, the exact, you know, manufacturing, uh, secrets by, by, you know, how they gain their, uh, their, their productivity. So. Right. I've actually, I remember when, uh, so I, uh, I used to write, Carmen used to write on engineer blogs. Is that right? Yeah. 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 I had, uh, I think I was like one or two blogs short of actually becoming a listed member, but uh-huh. I was a guest poster. Quite yeah. Right. So like, but engineer blogs, right? So we started that and it was kind of fashioned after science blogs, which was yeah. another very, a much more popular site about, you know, science and, you know, all these different issues. And one of the, the things that we eventually realized was, well, scientists are actually, that's their job is to publish publish what they're doing right they're mm-hmm. they're they're one of their measures of success is how far and wide their ideas are spread and it's like that is not the case for engineering you know there is uh like like jeff said like the the proprietary nature of it is it it makes it more captive knowledge and that is difficult definitely yeah and and so and so some of it makes it back to the textbooks right you reading there are manufacturing textbooks that that uh, are taught in 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 college but they sort of hit the highlights, right? The, the, the real secrets about how things are done in industry aren't uh, usually shared there. Right, right. You need a case study. You don't, you know, you need a case study more than a textbook, right? It's, yeah. even, it's even worse than that, actually. Um, so you do have, you know, industry periodicals like IEEE, you know, that, and there's equivalents in every field. I have heard firsthand accounts of companies deliberately publishing um, garbage. Misleading information. Yes, in order to give their competition the belief that they are going into a technology that they know they will waste their competition's time. Wow, very Machiavellian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. So I. I don't know. Uh, I. Th- I think that. Uh, I. Th- so I think that. Because there's so much restriction around that space that when I can find, especially as like open source gets a little bit more popular and more people are doing uh, more um, interesting things within. I mean, obviously, there's more technology that's enabled by, you know, available uh, manufacturing techniques and stuff like that. But as that stuff happens for these larger open source projects or as people are allowed to talk about it, right? So like like the Valve folks, I don't know why, but they're allowed to talk about their their stuff, right? And so that's great. I think it's really interesting. Um, it's probably because they make a lot of they don't make their money from the hardware piece, right? They, there's not right. the the competitive advantages elsewhere, and um, and so when all that stuff happens, and when you can talk about it, uh, it should be talked about, and that's what I'm interested in, kind of covering and and uncovering. So right, right. So so I have a note um, that you were looking for writers and are you looking for writers in this particular area? Yeah. I mean, mechanical, electrical, whatever. Uh, but yeah, just basically around the space between, um, design and manufacturing. Right. So like, if you think about like new, pr- new product introduction, if, if you've ever done anything with new product introduction, that stuff is super interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're just looking for, uh, I mean, if somebody has an interest, interest or background in this area, what kind of writing, you know, how much, how often, how big, I don't care. I mean, if they can <laughs> sentences together, I mean, like I'll help, I, I'll help develop writers. I mean, honestly, like that's the point I'm at where it's like, you know, I pay, I pay for the, the articles too. Um, mm-hmm. But like literally that's, that's how hard it is to get people that are willing and able to write about this stuff. Um, but I, I pay per article and um, you know, it's, I think it's, it's just hard to, to get that. I mean, they'll have to sign an agreement for like 90 days of, of, unique license 
for that content. But otherwise, yeah, that's pretty much the only restriction. So, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe, uh, maybe we have a listener or two that uh, has some information or, or some background that would be interesting to you. Your, your audience. I mean, I always want to hear like war stories, right? Those are always the best stories is like, well, we were going to do this and then, oh, this vendor didn't come through and that then this happened because of that and we switched in this part and what, you know, like what I mean is just those like war stories are always the interesting stories. No one's ever like the, the good stories don't start with and everything worked out great, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because there's nothing to learn there, right? It's like, oh, okay, well, your processes were awesome, but uh, it, you usually learn more when the processes were not in place or broken or whatever. So yes, but but isn't that how history gets rewritten? You know, there 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 are a million false starts and uh, uh, mistakes made, but when when the uh, the story is written and presented in the magazine article, everybody knew exactly what they were supposed to do and in what order to do it, and it, it, everything just smoothed. Oh, yeah. You know. Right, survivorship bias, I believe, is that it's called. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah, they don't talk about all the times the planes crashed in in uh, Kitty Hawk, right? Right, <laughs> that's right. Well, tell you what, Chris, we should uh, we should think about wrapping this up and letting you uh, go. I uh, before we do, I think I'll ask you a uh, you know a critical, very important question, and that is, you have moved to Chicago, a new home for you. Have you found a new beer that you like in the Chicago land area? Uh yeah man, hometown favorite, old style. You gotta you gotta gotta gotta. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yeah, you didn't see that one coming, did you? Is that even native to Chicago, or is that native to Milwaukee? I think it's actually made in Milwaukee. But you, I tell you what, <laughs> what was I? Oh, oh, I I heard this person talking about it. Maybe I didn't hear him. Maybe it was on on Twitter or something like that. But they said, growing up in Chicago, I saw the old style sign out of outside of so many buildings, which were bars, mm-hmm. that I thought that was the city flag. <laughs> awesome. And, awesome yeah right i mean like and it does kind of it's kind of got that like crest to it so yeah uh it's a terrible beer but you know <laughs> it's cheap and probably on special oh yeah it's great oh man widely available widely available yep fantastic well chris thank you so much for uh coming back and joining us on the engineering commons and good continued success with contextual electronics Thanks. Uh, yeah, if people want any more info or if they want to talk about this stuff, if they want to write, uh, I'm sure they'd be able to get in touch with me a lot of different ways online. Fantastic. <laughs> well, I will be sure to uh, put some contact information in the show notes. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you, Chris. Have a great evening. Take care. The Engineering Commons is produced in affiliation with Big Beacon, a social movement for transforming engineering education. For more information about the podcast you've just heard, please visit theengineeringcommons.com. Our musical introduction is by John Trimble and our concluding theme by Paul Stevenson. <laughs>